Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you? You've come to the end of an exciting week with our book launch, but how are you feeling at the moment? Um, I'm, I'm very good. I, I'm actually quite enjoying international break for once. Uh, just, just being able to take Finley for longer walks and things like that. And, and the, the weather's gloriously sunny, so yeah, all is good. Yeah, gloriously sunny and a bit cold. Kieran as well which is great I, I I actually love international breaks now just that weekend off with the tension and the nail biting um, before we start Kieran I'd like to thank uh, you uh, and indeed producer Guy who was shamed into coughing up some money for the marathon march I did on Saturday and I know many of you out there sponsor us there's still time to do so if you wish we uh, Friday we designate um, five a Friday day because we know there's a People are short of money, Kieran. So if you want to donate even a, f- a fiver to uh, Palace for Life, the cause that we were walking for on Saturday, helping youngsters in South London, that would be really kind of you. You can still do so. You can get the link on my Twitter feed or you can just go to Just Giving, um, FYP. Uh, you'll be pleased to know, Kieran, I'm recovering quite well, mainly from the... the why they why they lay on a free bar after a twenty six mile walk here, and I, I don't know. But <laughs> it's very kind of Palace to do so. I, I had to have a strong a strong chat with Smudge on on Saturday night. I had to tell her no, no matter what tricks she was going to pull at seven o'clock in the morning, Daddy wouldn't be getting up to feed her. But of course, Daddy did get up to feed her, and that was an, oh, that was an agonising yeah. trip down the stairs. That one. But since then, I've since then, Kieran, I've been all right, and I'm very proud of myself. Well, r- rightly so. Twenty six miles, um, ha- having having tried to run it, it's it's a long distance. So having, having to walk it must be worse. It takes even longer. Well, we see we had this discussion, Kieran, with one of the um, the organisers. who are all professional marathon runners, um, and and I did try and point out. I said, well, I've heard that it's harder to walk a marathon than to run one. And she said, oh, right, I see. So so about 15 miles in, when you're knackered from walking, you break into a relaxing run, do you? And I said, right, <laughs> I, I, I take your point. But it, it's, she said it is harder because, you know, decent marathon runners are doing it in two and a half hours. We're taking nine. I mean, in, fa- mm. in fact, we smashed our record on Saturday. This is the first time we've ever got back to Selhurst in daylight. So we were <laughs> very pleased. Anyway, news stories, Kieran, and you're you're in one of these. For, <laughs> this just made me laugh so much. This, this chap called William Story, Kieran, American chap, is mm. very keen to buy Reading. Um, he's not very keen on you by, by the sound of things. Yes, I mean Reading sadly has been uh, too frequent a feature on the show recently. And then a story broke. I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday night that uh, William Story, who uh, he tried to buy Sunderland and that failed, and he tried to buy Coventry City and that failed. And the story, I think it came from John Percy in the Telegraph, the story was that, that Di Younger had accepted a £50 million bid from William Story. And I can understand why he accepted a £50 million bid, because... Club's probably not worth fifty million pounds at the you know it's at the wrong end of League One, um, so that wrong and I sort of said I'm, I'm in fact and Reading fans got in contact with me about it uh, and I said I, I didn't think there was a great likelihood of this happening given his history and then William Story decided to go on to social media um, and uh, poo poo. My uh, my my viewpoint, um, and he he, saw, he he said a few things. I go, which which he's perfectly entitled to do. Yeah, I'm I'm a great believer in in uh, free and fair communication. Um, so to which my response was, I dug out the accounts from Company's House. You know, it's, you know, it's my go to. Of course, you know, of course. Other other people when you know when 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 you're younger, if somebody's a go at you, you you get your dad to go around and have a word. But but I use Company's House is the equivalent of my old man. So I I 
find out from Companies House, because I am familiar with with Mr. Story. Um, A, he's had six companies that have gone into various forms of dissolution and liquidation, many of which have failed to produce even the most basic form of accounts. Uh, But his most spectacular one was in respect of a company called Lightning Vault, which was put into liquidation and owed its creditors somewhere in the region of 50 to 60 million pounds. Wow. I'm going, well, it, it, I don't think this is a very good track record. So so that was a bit of a, you know, that was a bit of a slap in the face for him. And, and he made a few more comments and, and I thought that was the end of it. Um, then I was called on Thursday up by our very good friends at TalkSport. Um, and they asked me to, to go through the deal. And I, I, I tried to be diplomatic in, in, in comments, especially when you're on national radio. Um, but I, I think they sort of picked up the vibe that I wasn't convinced that he was a, a realistic or a credible buyer of the club. And left it at that. And I've also appeared on some of the Reading fans podcasts. And, and again, you know, whilst, whilst we, we mess around on this show a bit, I, I do try to be sort of quasi-professional, if, if especially when I'm dealing with something which is so important to, to so many people, you know, in terms of the love and affection. You, you can't you, you can't be flippant uh, with regards to that. And, and I thought that was the end of it. And then on Friday, a fair play to TalkSport uh, in terms of right of reply, um, they they invited uh, William Story back onto the show to give his uh, his version of events. And first of all, he was saying, oh, I, I can't say whether I've put in a bid or not due to EFL rules. I go, that's news to me. Yeah. You, you're entitled. You, you're entitled to say you put in a bid. You, um, so you know, that seems to be lacking a bit of logic. And then they asked him a series of questions, and I think it's fair to say his his answers were were prime politician. I.e., he spoke for a long time without actually specifically <laughs> answering the the question elements themselves. Which, which is yeah. And, and I'm a teacher, so I, yeah. For me. I think it's really important to answer questions appropriately, and that's why, yeah, that's why, yeah, we spend a lot of time before the show researching the topic so that we can give as best we can definitive answers. Um, and then Sam Matterface rather cheekily brought up um, some of my comments the previous day, and I think it's fair to say that that, that this this got William into a bit of a. I don't know whether you've seen him. He, he looks like the uh, he, he looks like Billy Gibbons from. Uh, ZZ Top, yeah, which yeah, so he's, he's got one of those you know, really long beards, um, and so yeah, so yeah, so he said I was clueless. Um, <laughs> he, he said, uh, yeah, typical typical journalist, uh, you know, he's, he's never done it, yeah, he's never run a football club, and I'm thinking, well, well, first of all, I, I'm I don't I don't object to being called clueless. I do object to be calling a journalist. You know, I, I, don't, I don't. I don't want to be in the in the same category as Rod Little, for example. Um, so that that was that was quite. And then he sort of started sort of a bit of a, a bit of a pile on. And I'm going, but, but William, you've not run a football club either. So if if he's saying that I shouldn't be commenting because I've never run a football club, surely the same principle applies to him. Um, and he sort of went on, and you could. I think it's fair to say that that Sam Matterface had a cheeky smile on his face when he was asking these questions. So, so it was it was it was a great ten you know ten fifteen twenty minutes of of entertainment. Um, but on on a slightly more serious note, you know we 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 we, we try to get on with everybody. So um, I'm I'm, give, I'm going to give an open invitation to William to to come on to the show uh, to give give him you know, a, a right of reply as, as I think uh, I think that is appropriate and. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm not a journalist. I'm, I'm just a teacher. So that will probably make him even more angry because presumably he's from the those that can do and those that can't teach school of thought. Uh, but if you want to come on the show, William, we would gladly welcome you with open arms. Yeah, I think the only problem, Kieran, he'd have to be on one of the shows that aren't brought to you by Manscaped because <laughs> that wouldn't be a good that wouldn't be a good look for either party would it he sounds cheeky sam matterface i have to say i've, I've never met sam apparently he's very nice but he's he, he does sound like he's a bit of a, a cheeky scamp um I, I used to get my mum to sort things out my dad was way too laid back so the, the whole <laughs> the sight of my five foot three irish mum rolling her sleeves up at streets in three or four directions heading for cover <laughs> do, do you do you think kieran this this sale 
is going to go ahead to William Story? Well, in terms of it going ahead to uh, William Story, I, I, it, it, I, I don't think that he has the money. Um, right. And I say this for a, a variety of reasons. And, and, and look, we, we cannot corroborate this, but, but somebody did send me a, a text message uh, purportedly from William Story um, uh, explaining why he couldn't pay his five-a-side match subs. Yes, I saw that. So you and yeah, five-a-side match subs have gone up a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm not denying that, but I still think there's a bit of a quantum leap between that and uh, fifty fifty million pounds for a club. He's saying, "Oh yeah, I, I've not got online banking." I'm going, "Well, if you're such a a corporate genius, you know, as as you as you make yourself out to be," he, he, he says, "Yes, you know, every, for every, every failure there has to be a success." Uh, you look at some of my relationships yeah. <laughs> uh, going back way back when. Uh, there was just failure. There was just failure. There was no success uh, taking place in those. That sounds like the sort of thing Dick Van Dyke would say to his kids in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, doesn't it? It's. Uh, it, it, you mentioned the word flippant, Kieran. The, the trouble is it is very easy. Well, it's very easy for me to be flippant. It's my default setting, but... Yeah, we're flippant about this story and about this man, but for for Reading fans, it's not a laughing matter in any way, shape or form, is it? Because it's a club that's in serious financial trouble. It needs someone to buy it. It seems that this is not the right person to do that, but they they do need someone to come to the rescue, don't they? It it strikes me. Yes, and uh, having looked at the the beefed-up version of the... um, of the fit and prepper owner's test or owner's and director's test. He, he would appear to pass the, that they brought in a new rule, which means that if you have been associated with two football insolvencies, then you cannot be an owner or director of, of a member. But his, his other organizations, one was called Sir Les limited. Nice. Cause I, I think he, he once claims that he played, he got as far as QPR reserves, so he, he, you know he, he might be a QPR fan, for all I know, um, and there perhaps that's the attachment to Reading because they both play in blue and white hoops. Uh, you know, but how that links itself to Sunderland or or Coventry, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Um, so th- there is a challenge. You know, we're two weeks away from payday. That's my concern. They they managed to pay the wages last month. Wait, Reading will not have generated much cash in October. Um, and, and the reason for that is that you know they are League One home games, and and they don't tend to generate a lot of cash. So my my concern is how is the the wage bill going to be paid? What is the latest with regards to HMRC? Um, and, and there is a fear amongst Reading fans, and, and I think it's a, a genuine one of administration. And some people are saying, well, administration's good. You know, we we can clear the decks, get rid of the owner. The downside is immediate twelve point penalty. You know, so so you know, so yeah, that would that's going to increase the likelihood of of Reading um, going into League Two, and they've already had points deductions this season. So it's it's a very very sorry situation, um, and, and some sort of urgent resolution is required. Yeah, and if, I mean, finally, and there's no need to answer this, Kieran. I mean, if he hasn't got electronic banking, it begs the question of how he's going to pay the fifty million quid in the first place. But I, I, although at least it's reassuring to know that. Producer guy is not the only multimillionaire who's still using cash. But it's it's questions day, Kieran, but we've got a huge story. Um, another club that's up for sale. This is almost breaking news coming out of Manchester about one of the potential buyers of Manchester United. Yes, um, it looks as if, um, and I think we are you know, 99.999% certain that this is the case, that uh, Sheikh Jassim has withdrawn the offer to buy Manchester United. Now, the offer was to buy all of the shares, um, I think to clear the debt as well. From what I understand is that there was a a $1.7 billion um, sort of reconstruction fund, which would have gone into uh, not only issues on the pitch, but perhaps more importantly, um, the the state of Old Trafford, uh, which is is not fit for twenty first century uh, football. 
in, in the sense that you know I've I've got friends who are paying top dollar for their season tickets, and I say, well, yeah, we, we've got the we've got a leaking roof, and and then and then they look behind them, and 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 there's a bit of there's a bit of animal farming. They say, yeah, they look behind them, and and they see the people um, in the hospitality suites where the money is being spent because these people will pay ridiculous prices, um, and and they're very unhappy. Um, I, I can't give too much away, but um, I think it's fair to say this morning that I, I spoke to the secret shake. Um, <laughs> I'm going to need or, a, or one of his. Kieran, I'm going to need a bigger piece of paper for all this. These secret people. <laughs> We've got a secret shake now. That'd be great. Okay. <laughs> well, we, we, we have. Yeah, you know, we we do now have a, a network of people who, you know, with. You know, on, on the promise of anonymity, of which of course, you know, we, we absolutely respect their positions, um, are willing to engage with us because I think the show has has a reasonably high profile. Um, and the the secret shake said, in effect, that they feel that they've made a series of very fair offers, and the offers have been increased on more than one occasion, but they are extremely disappointed with the response of the Glazers stroke their senior advisors so presumably the 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 rain group because every time they went in um and put forward an offer it was it would go away and then it was yeah we think it's really good but we want a bit more and and when this stuff if if you're selling a car if you're selling a house whatever it's going to be um so you know the the offer was in excess of six billion dollars that's what i can say with with a degree of certainty um, and and our sources said we are just fed up to the gills, and also you know, and people I think I think perhaps the Glazers, perhaps the Rain Group thought you know, Sheikh Jassim is is from the Middle East. We can pull the wool over his eyes and, and just shout a crazy price because he's from the Middle East. We'll, we'll think that they'll pay that they'll pay a price which isn't isn't justified. So uh, Sheikh Jassim said, "Well, well, actually, I'm I have been reasonably successful." Um, and part of the reason why I'm reasonably successful is that I, I, I don't get my trousers taken down in negotiations, and, and I think they just feel very let down by the by the attitude of the of the selling party. So where does this leave us? Well, it would appear now to be an open goal for Sir Jim Ratcliffe, and again, the noises which are coming out, and this this hasn't come from any of our sources. This has come from reading uh, the Athletic and, and the other uh, journalists involved. Um, is that it looks as if Sir Jim is going to buy 25% of Manchester United. Now, for me, as an outside observer, and it doesn't matter whether you support Manchester United or don't support Manchester United, whether you have a dog in the fight, Manchester United is a leading institution in sport. And I think it has been not treated particularly well by the Glazer family. It's it's just been used as a a cash machine. Uh, But Sir Jim's offer... Is, is the worst of both worlds yeah, in yeah. the sense that he gets a quarter of the club. Now, is that a quarter of all of the shares? Is that a quarter of the Class B shares, which carry 10 votes each? If so, how will the owners of the Class A shares feel about that? Um, presumably, this would mean that the Glazers still have control over more than 50% of the votes, which means that they are... Uh, taken in consideration for key decisions. People say, well, you know, it could be that as part of the deal, Sir Jim gets a seat on the board of directors. And if so, well, that that could work out. Um, I think, yeah, without wanting to be too jaundiced about this, his ownership of other football clubs has not been a spectacular success. I think there has been an emphasis on on better cost control. But, you know, that's that's at odds with a football club which which probably needs to spend money you know and so jim ratcliffe is is absolutely brilliant at turning around failing businesses um but football is is not like any other industry so i think the view was it's it's 25 now with a view to being able to have an acquired uh, a controlling stake by 2026 well yeah, that's another three years down the line so is that is that another three years of leaking roofs um if if he's buying shares purely from the Glazers, that means that none of the money is going to the club, so therefore none of it counts towards FFP purposes and so on. It all seems very rickety, and I think for those Manchester United fans who are becoming increasingly impatient, you can understand their 
their disappointment with what's happened. There, there are two questions, Kieran, that people seem to have been asking since the news came through about Sheikh Jassim. First of all, you know, as we've discussed in the last couple of weeks, Jim Ratcliffe was putting in a bid, it seemed, for 20 25% of the club. But a lot of people are wondering now that he's the last man standing, does that give him more flexibility in saying to the Glazers, look, if you if you want a serious price for this club, I will buy it all, but I'm not paying as much as you originally wanted me to because no one else is out there to buy it. And secondly, does it indicate, as Sheikh Jassim seems to have hinted, or some of his people seem to have hinted, that the Glazers simply aren't serious about selling the club full stop? Yeah, I, th- I think if we look at these in turn, again, yeah, I always use the house analogy when we're looking at football clubs. If you've only got one person bidding for your house, and I've, I've got friends who are in the process of selling houses, um, and then the the you know, it's it's been a pain in the backside. And, and as somebody that's spent the last six months trying to buy an apartment myself, being on the other side of things, yeah, I, it could be a pain as well. Um, the buyer can say, "Yeah, I'm going to." They can threaten to drop out unless you unless you drop the asking price. So, you know, that could mean that Sir Jim could end up buying Manchester United at a lower price than would have been paid by Sheikh Jassim. Um, so, so that's one issue. Are the Glazers serious about selling the club? I think, I think some of them are, and and, and there's. There's a common misconception that the Glazers have a hive mind that they think as well. Right, okay, okay. But I think it's far more like Dallas and JR and Bobby Ewing. You know, and, and you know, they 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 were squabbling siblings. You know, uh brothers and sisters don't get on. You've only got to look at Nolan Liam. You've only <laughs> got to look at succession. And and you know, some of the stories you hear about the Murdoch children, that they they seem to have slightly different flavours themselves. So I don't think there is continuity uh, and uh, amongst the Glazer siblings. Some of them probably are keener to cash in than others. Certainly, Joel and Avram are very enthusiastic about Manchester United. They think it's completely undervalued because they don't see it as a football club. Yeah. And, and that would be my concern, is that Manchester United is a cash cow without having to be successful on the pitch. Because it's got that status as one of the grand, the grandees of, of world football, so why not just just run it on a mediocre basis? Aim to get you know, aim to get fourth. That's your or fifth. Yeah, from ne- next season, top five are going to go into the Champions League. Aim to be in the top five and and settle for that. And you know, the the coach sacking the coach is is an irrelevance. The Blazers certainly aren't interested in the game. Um, <laughs> coming in or going out? He's going out. He's, he's, he's one. He, he heard the, the Baroness put on the coffee machine, and because of his Pavlovian reaction, he gets his wonky chomp when she makes her morning coffee. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by Manscaped. There's no need to hubble, bubble, toil or trouble this Halloween. Manscaped's all-new handyman is the best way to get rid of that stubble. Featuring a compact design and next-gen skin-safe technology, the handyman was designed to give you that smooth finish without the mess of a traditional shave. Get the sweetest treat this Halloween by going to manscaped.com and use code PRICEOFOOTBALL for 20% off plus free shipping. It may be spooky season, but you don't want to scare people with a scraggly beard. Give them something to look at with Manscaped's Handyman. With its skin-safe technology to help reduce nicks and cuts, you can finally feel confident when going for that close shave. It's suitable for wet or dry use, so you can feel free to take it anywhere and everywhere. The compact design and airplane friendliness make this the perfect travel tool for on-the-go. And being able to shave up to three days' growth without the mess of a wet shave is priceless. So for all treat, no trick this Halloween, get 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICEOFOOTBALL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PRICEOFOOTBALL. For a look as sweet as candy, get yourself the handyman from Manscaped. Hi. 
I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Well, let's move on to questions, Kieran. We've got a few questions today. They're always good. Um, the first one comes from Ollie Lewington. Uh, I don't know whether Ollie Lewington is related to our much-loved Ray Lewington at Crystal Palace because I can't tell just by looking at his name whether Ollie Lewington is wearing shorts and has his arm around someone. Um, <laughs> but it's a good question from Ollie. Ollie says, who gets the money from digital advertising boards around the pitch? Is it the broadcaster, the club, or both? Well, ultimately, those broadcast those those hoardings belong to the football club, but there are two types of deal with regards to the uh, the hoardings. First of all, there's a central deal operated by the Premier League itself, and I think you get so many. The Premier League negotiates for so many thirty second slots per match. And that money is shared equally between all 20 clubs in the Premier League. Um, and it's, you know, we are probably talking a couple of million pounds uh, a season. So it is, it is significant. I can't give the exact figures because for the first time in, in living memory, the Premier League has decided not to publish. It used to, it used to go and put out a very, really nice, really nice table each year, which shows how much money was allocated to each club in terms of merit payments, facility payments, equal equal centralised payments for advertising, and so on. And that always used to come out at the end of the season. They they delayed it to July in 2022, and this season they've, for whatever reason, they've declined to publish it. And I've emailed them on probably about half a dozen occasions. You know what I'm like. You know, when 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 there's a spreadsheet to be created, <laughs> I feel I feel a moral obligation to pester people, and the the, the PR people at the Premier League come back and say, "Ah, it's not, we've not got around to it yet." And I go, "Well, you know, you gave the money six months yeah. ago, so if, if you want, just just send me over the numbers. <laughs> I'll do the spreadsheet for you. Yeah. you know, I'm, I'm 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 a nice guy." <laughs> Um, but that money is shared equally between the clubs, and then you will have the, the clubs will have their own commercial partners. Um, so ultimately, all of the money goes to the club um, rather than the broadcaster. Yeah, the broadcaster makes their money from the the adverts pre and post matches, and of course from subscription income as well. They don't get any of the money. Uh, which is directly negotiated by individual clubs with uh, with perimeter sponsors. It'd be an interesting one to keep an eye on that, Kieran, that non-publication of that information, especially as the Premier League are very keen on everyone else publicising their details. And if you say every club gets exactly the same amount, you can't even argue that they're releasing economically sensitive information, can you? But that that's right. Um, I'm I'm not I'm not quite sure of the benefits of secrecy. Given that the Premier League have gone all in with their, there is no need for an independent regulator. Um, and at the same time, they say, yeah, but we don't believe in transparency in in terms of distribution. And you know, it, it's the the. The information will drip out in parts once individual clubs start to publish their accounts. So I I just think they – I don't know whether they're just doing it out of stubbornness. Uh, I I know I'm not very popular with (laughs) quite a few people in the world of football. Just, okay, we we do this just to piss off Maguire because we we know he loves a spreadsheet on this. We'll just – yeah, I don't don't think it's being done out of spite, but I I can't see the benefit. Yeah, see, I I might have to drop a line to the the Premier League and say, for the love of God, just let him have his spreadsheet because – I know from experience that you get exactly the same look on your face when deprived of a spreadsheet that Finley does when his wonky chomp is late. That the, the big sad eyes, the little droopy... That, that, we can't be having that, Kieran. So Premier League, if you're listening, let Kieran, give Kieran the information. He'll do the spreadsheet for you. This next one, Kieran, uh, is an interesting question and it involves one of your, your, one of your clubs, your club. 
Um, it comes from Jan Peters, who says, Last season, Dutch midfielder and former Brighton player David Propper dissolved his contract with PSV Eindhoven because he said he lacked motivation to play the game and felt uncomfortable within current football culture. Although PSV made an investment by buying him for Brighton in 2021, they appreciated his honesty and let him go to enjoy his after-football life. However, he then made a comeback in the Dutch Eredivisie for another club, his boyhood team Vitesse. Could this be a way for players to go on a free to another club? I, I mean, this has come up before, Kieran, in terms of insurance. I, you choose to end your career and then you choose to revitalise it somewhere else. Yes, I... I've got him down as Jan Petters. Oh, I, I, I think it's more Dutch. Well, do you know what, Kieran? I, I, I was going to say before I even pronounced the name that I, I, I love Holland and the Netherlands, and but, it, mm. but you, sometimes they get a bit. T- you, you can never tell. So with the whole Jan Jan thing, so I, I thought if I went full South London, just went Jan Peters. <laughs> It, it, at least he would go, well, culturally, he's done the right thing. But you, you're probably right. It probably is Jan Petters. Although it could turn out that Jan Petters is sitting in Croydon going, I've never been to Holland. Well, it's just Jan Peters. <laughs> or <laughs> yes, the Netherlands, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it's an interesting question though, Kieran, isn't it? It is. Um, there's there's a, a fantastic book called Brilliant Orange. Yeah, which great. Is read it. The History of Dutch fantastic Football. Fantastic book. Um, I think it's fair to say... Davy Proper is not the world's, or well, is not Holland's first moody Dutchman. <laughs> um, to put it mildly, yeah, yeah. And, and this is part of the reason why you know Amsterdam, Amsterdam and Berlin are my two favourite European cities uh, for a variety of reasons, and I, I absolutely adore Amsterdam. Um, but uh, Davy Proper, when he, when he played for Brighton for the four seasons. I don't think he cracked a smile once. Yeah. You know, he, he's a he's a serious dude, and he's a very very gifted footballer as well. And I got and you got the impression that he took his profession uh, very seriously. So I think it was it was it was very sad in, in many ways when he decided. You know, he would have been about you know, twenty eight, twenty nine at the time that he he'd fallen out of love with football. And I know that we've had a, a former guest on the show. Um, Mark Lynch, who again was a professional footballer, started off at Manchester United, and he he took early retirement because again he'd fallen out of love with the game. You know, he says your, your perception of the game from a fan's point of view is is different to, to those of us, and uh, I, I can understand uh, David Proper making this decision. He felt perhaps he wasn't making the contribution that he he felt he should have been able to do so. But there are things in football, I think, on the inside which we're not familiar with. Uh, which which can can make it uncomfortable, and we've also seen you know the, the likes of Deli Ali and Richarlison recently talk about their challenges. Yeah, in that it's not just all money, cars, glamour. You know, knocking them in from thirty yards, and we are dealing with with young men who have got have got issues, and I suspect uh, Davy Proper felt. It for the sake of his family and for the sake of his own well-being that he was going to to retire. So PSV, in theory, would still be holding his registration, and if they wanted to be awkward, they could have effectively made it uh, such that they would keep continue to hold his registration, and that would have prevented him from joining another club. Um, I think you've got to give the club some credit. And uh, you've also got to give uh, Vitesse some credit for for you know, uh, encouraging David to come back and to, uh, to to return his love of football. And and, and I, I will say I just I wish him all the best. And I do that whether he was a Brighton player or a Palace player or a Manchester United player or whatever. Um, but is it a way for players to go on a free to another club? No, the answer is no because you can still allow the player to effectively take early retirement, but still hold on to his registration, which would prevent him from joining another club. Good. Our next question comes from Harry Wood, and I don't think there's any dispute about how we pronounce Harry Wood either, until unless it turns out that Harry Wood himself is in Amsterdam, going it's, it's Harry Wood. Um, Harry says, what right-to-work status do footballers from overseas require to sign for a club within the English football pyramid? And, of course, this has changed um, somewhat since Brexit, hasn't it, Kieran, I presume? 
It has. Um, we we have, in fact, the, the new rules came in on the 23rd of June this year. Um, Pre-Brexit, any person who was an EU citizen could come to a club in uh, in English football, in, in Scottish football and, and so on, um, and, and apply their trade because of, of freedom of movement of labour. Since then, it has been replaced with what we refer to as a governing body endorsement. And this is this is a points-based system. And the, the there was a change in June to, to try to encourage clubs or to, clubs were trying to put pressure on the government to allow them to recruit more players. Um, but effectively, it's, it's a points-based system which is linked, A, to the country uh, in, in which you are based, uh, and that's uh, split into six different bands, and, it, and it's tiered. So if you're coming from the Bundesliga, if you're coming from Serie A and so on, you're going to get more points than if you're coming from, no disrespect, to the San Marino National League. Um, secondly, it's the number of minutes that you have had as a player on the pitch. And secondly, there's, uh, there's international caps as well in the last two years. So it, it is very much, a, you add it all up. If, if, you, if you pass the threshold, this would allow you to, to satisfy the rules. And then the foreign office would effectively say, yeah, tick, yeah, we'll, we'll allow this player to come to the club. The rules are slightly different for managers and coaches, but um, if, the, if the club can put forward a persuasive case, and yeah, we have seen many um, yeah, international managers come to the UK and football has benefited from that. And you know, clearly, as, as a Brighton fan, I'd, I'd say that anyway, given, given where we are with uh, Roberto De Zerbi uh, as our mm. coach at present. Our next question, Kieran, comes from David Zhao. Uh, David says, what could the Premier League do to prevent big six clubs from raiding smaller teams who develop their own talent? For example, could they impose some kind of financial or other restriction to prevent what's happened to Brighton in recent seasons or what happened to Leicester a few years ago and Southampton before then? Or is that just the unavoidable fate of producing talents in football? I have to say, Kieran, much as I appreciate David referring to Brighton as a smaller team, I don't think what's happened to them recently counts as being raided recently. They, it's part of their policy, isn't it, to, to produce uh, players out of nowhere and sell them at a profit. But David's absolutely right about Leicester and, and Southampton in particular before that. And this is something we've talked about in our in our new book, Kieran, and it's a, an issue, really, the, the, the snaffling of talent from smaller clubs, for want of a better word, is a problem, isn't it? It, it is, and, and, and I'm sort of minded to go back to that was the week that was, wow. and the classic class system sketch involving John Cleese, Ronnie Barker, and Ronnie Corbett. Um, there is a system, you know, and ev- a lot of people look up to others and look down at others as well, um, as far as the, the, the football world is concerned. And you know, you've even got clubs such as Liverpool who were unable to stop some of their players going to the likes of, of Barcelona, yeah, for example. Yeah, yeah. And in it, you say, well, you know, Liverpool are football royalty. So is there anything that could be done? Um, if you talk to people, especially at clubs in, in, in the lower leagues, there's a sense of frustration because under the elite player performance plan, a a more senior club can come along and take your player with minimal compensation. So all of that hard work that you've you've undertaken um, is is felt is lost, and that's why we've got some of the smaller clubs saying, well, you know, what, "What's the point of having an academy if we're just effectively being used as a uh, as a as an embryonic uh, as part of of Chelsea or Manchester City or Liverpool's overall recruitment strategy, and we're not getting adequate compensation." The, the only thing that, that can be done is is to have um, more severe forms of financial fair play, which make it more difficult for the bigger clubs to recruit. But you know, it's a horrible thing to say. It's business. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not personal. You know, when when these clubs come in, it's not because that they want to screw over Leicester or Southampton or Brighton. Or you, you think about what's happened at Palace at the time. You know, when you know Aaron Wambasaka, really promising local player, you wanted him, and then all of a sudden, you know, Manchester United sort of 
wave 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 the big checkbook. You know, you think about Lotterby and Wright, who you know, yeah. club Still legend hurts. at Palace Still and so hurts. on. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it is it is part of the game, and then you know, I, I know when. When I, when I talk, I've got some friends who support Swansea who said, well, yeah, well, the way that Brighton came in and just snaffled Graham Potter just yeah, by offering yeah, a bit yeah. more money. Yeah, so it, it, always, it, it always hurts when you're on the receiving end. But I, I think there's very few – well, there's no Premier League clubs, and I suspect there's no clubs in the Championship as well who haven't done the same to clubs in League One and League Two. It's, it's the nature of the system. Um, so, unfortunately, David, I think it is – an unavoidable fate unless we move to a an NFL style of player distribution, which isn't going to take place because you know fo- football is a sport, whereas NFL and NBA are forms of entertainment, which just happen to to involve the sporting element. Mm. And the, the focus there is making profits. It, it, it's not just smaller clubs, Kieran, giving up on their academy system. I think Brentford did as well. Huddersfield certainly have because they said pretty much all they're doing is is bringing through young talent that have been missed by the bigger clubs and the bigger clubs suddenly go, oh, hang on, we're not missing them now and they just walk in and take them. So our next question, Kieran, is um, you've got me paranoid about pronunciations now. I'm going to say Josh Gian because the Gian is spelled J-E-H-A-N and I'm I'm assuming it's like Bian as in Brendan Bean, but if it's not Josh, I apologise. But it's a lovely accounting question for you, Kieran. We know it has a little special treat for you, a little half a wonky chomp on a Monday morning to throw at you. Uh, Josh says, how are loan fees accounted for? With loans for players becoming increasingly popular, they often carry with them a loan fee now. For example, last season, my club Leeds signed Weston McKenney for a reported loan fee of 1.2 million euros. Are they expensed immediately when the player signs or are they treated as a prepayment and released throughout the period of the loan? Right. I think we need to look at this from the point of view of both the selling club and the buying club in terms of both sides of the loan. Um the selling club will will normally recognise it um, as other income. Now, some clubs are really good. Arsenal, for example, uh, Arsenal showed that they made just under two million pounds from loaning out players in twenty one twenty two. Other clubs hide the figures. If you are the club that is acquiring the player, um, nearly all loans will start once the. Uh, transfer window kicks in and the transfer window normally kicks in after the start of the financial year so therefore it would be a cost which gets expensed in the year and you know, some some loan fees can be you know we are talking you know four five six million pounds uh for, for the likes of Romelu Lukaku and so on so it, it does all take place in the accounts in the year unless it is a two-year loan deal. And I know that Chelsea had a few of these under Roman Abramovich, in which case you'd spread the, you'd spread the benefit over the two years. Our next question, Kieran, comes from Alexander Walton. And it's one of those rare occasions when I have to check with you before we start that it's... Um, a proper question because it, it seemed to me that Alexander Walton was asking the same thing twice here, but obviously you being the expert pointed out that it was a perfectly valid question. Um, so I'm looking forward to the perfectly valid answer. And Alexander says, if an English club buys a player from another English club for £70 million on a seven-year contract, they spread the cost over seven years through amortisation, which equates to £10 million a year. Does the buying club spread their payments over seven years as well? Right. I think what we have here... Is, is a little bit of confusion, which which I fully understand. It's the difference between amortization and cash. And I think the best way to, to look at it is to say that there will actually effectively be two contracts. First of all, there will be a contract between the buying club and the selling club. And that contract simply says that the buying club is willing to compensate. So when Palace sold Aaron Wambasaka to Manchester United, uh, Manchester United offered Palace £45 million compensation. And then there would be, within that particular contract, it would be, right, we're going to pay you £15 million now, 
we're going to pay you £15 million in 12 months' time, and we're going to pay you £15 million in two years' time. So that would be the contract for the transfer of the registration, and that would deal with the cash part of the deal. Independent of that, the player would sign a contract with Manchester United, which says, I am willing to uh, transfer my registration and I'm willing to to sign for you to have to have my registration lodged with Manchester United for five years. Now, that is how amortisation is dealt with. So you say, well, £45 million pounds over right. five years gives us a figure of nine I've million. Got you. So we've got, got yeah. something happening between two clubs and you've got something happening between the club and the player. And that's why we get a, a divergence in terms of how the, the money is dealt with from a cash point of view and from an amortisation perspective. Right. Alexander, I owe you an apology because that turns out to be a really good question. Um, as is this one from John Swift. It's another amortisation question. It, it, it never ceases to amaze me, Kieran, how we talk about amortisation virtually every week and we still don't get to the bottom of it. There's still another question to be asked about amortisation. Um, and John Swift has this question, as I said, does a deal continue to be amortised after a player has been sold to another club? For example, let's say I buy a player for a transfer fee of £80 million on an eight-year contract. That gets amortised as £10 million each year. If after four years I sell the same player for a fee of £40 million, do I make a profit on that player of £30 million in the year I sell them, then still have three years of £10 million as cost for the original eight-year deal? Or would the £40 million I made just cancel out the £40 million I still owe and I would break even on that player for all four years. Okay. Um, the registration of the player is shown as an asset in the accounts. Now, an asset is something that the club controls and something which generates economic benefits, i.e. It generates income. So if you've got a player who is still in your squad... You control the player in the sense that he can only play for you or she can only play for you and they cannot play for any other club. And secondly, they generate economic benefits because people come to see the people come to see the talent. So so it it's it's the player is an asset. Once that player moves to another club, you no longer control the player and they and they're no longer generating income. So you, you can no longer treat them as an asset. So you take them out of the accounts and you take them out of the accounts, what we refer to as book value, which was the original cost of the player, less the amortization to date. So in, in the example that, that John gave, let's say that we sold that player for £60 million. Pounds. He'd been there, he'd signed for £80 million, been there for four years, so his book value was 40. We sold him for 60, so you take the player out and you say, well, in our books, he's got a value of 40. We've sold him for 60, and that's how you get profits in relation to player sales. So every time you sell a player, you either make a profit or a loss from the accounting side of the deal, but the but the player's original uh, transfer fee disappears from the books because you can no longer... Uh, treats with that, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm equally alarmed at the number of references to amortisation. It must be an absolute nightmare for you. At least I do. At least I teach this for a living. I'm, 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 I'm worried because because the Baroness, she's even started using it as well. And you know, if if, if I pass away before her, is she going to have on my gravestone "Not dead, just amortising"? You know, yeah, that, that's my concern. Good. Don't be concerned for me, kid. I'm, I'm genuinely interested in in every question we get and every answer that you so brilliantly give the only problem is my short-term memory is is that bad. i just can't remember them which is great in terms of presenting the pod because i can be genuinely surprised but it's not so good when strangers sidle up to me in the street and say i've just bought this player over an eight-year contract what happens i don't you know it's fascinating Kieran. of course it is and and those of you who need um, explanations about how amortization works then there's a book coming out that we may mention. It's out. Uh, that I, I, it I think gives a very interesting and succinct and slightly entertaining version of how it all works. Our penultimate question, Kieran, comes from Neil Adred. Um, and it's about a concept that we have spoken about before. And again, this is something I'm looking forward to the, to the answer. Uh, Neil says, last season, King Power Group converted Leicester's loans to equity. What does this actually mean for the club? And is it something to do with FFP? As like most fans, including me, Neil suspects that everything that anybody does is to do with FFP. 
Yes. Um, the difference between a loan and a share is that if an owner loans money to a football club, then there is an obligation at some point in time for the club to repay that. Um, but I think we've, we've often used the analogy of bank of mum and dad. You know, I, uh, my kid comes to me and says, any chance of five grand for a holiday or for a car or whatever it's going to be. Um, and I say, uh, how's that wish? He says, well, I'll, I'll borrow it. I'll repay it. <laughs> now, I know that he's never going to repay it. He knows that he's never going to repay it. But nominally, you know, from an accounting point of view, he's got an obligation to repay me at some time. Whereas the way to think of, of a share issue, it, it's, it's a gift. Um, and because it is a gift the first £90 million that an owner gives to a club in the Premier League over a three-year period and the first £24 million that an owner gives to a club in the EFL Championship over a three-year period, they count towards FFP. So in in the case of Leicester, um, I've... I've sort of looked at the small print, and I'm, I'm, it's it's a little bit unclear. Um, if they're going to say, "Well, it's no longer a loan, and it's now equity," it, it could, in theory, count towards financial fair play calculations uh, and and be a boost um, for for a club such as Leicester. What does it mean in practice? No cash taking hands. The accounts look better because you've got. You know, it, it, it's showing that you've got less debt. So it, it's more of a cosmetic exercise, but it could have FFP repercussions mm. as well. I'm maybe exaggerating a little, Kieran, but our final question has, I think, what is today's 110th mention of Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, yes. I think people are starting to think to themselves, well, if I mention Brighton in a question, it might get answered. Um, that might rebound on people. Oh, actually, I don't. I take. I take. <laughs> to be fair, I take no interest in what questions are put to me. It's just sorted out by producer guy. Um, and also, to be fair, this question is about Brighton, so I suppose you would have to mention it in those circumstances. And it comes from Rob Platts. And Rob Platts says, "You've mentioned before that Brighton has a free fan travel scheme. How much would it cost for other Premier League teams to implement similar measures? Do they have a free fan travel scheme at Brighton, Kieran?" They do. Um, as part of the planning permission for the Amex Stadium, they had to have a sustainable transport policy. Oh, okay. um, or, as the Prime Minister would say, they hate an anti-motorist policy. <laughs> um, so if you live in a radius of probably around about 30 miles you know it goes as far as sort of you know eastbourne littlehampton haywood seat in a radius of around about 30 miles you can use the trains you can use the bus you can get the bus from tunbridge wells to the amex stadium um on a saturday morning and and it will cost you cost you nothing if um, it's just so, so if you have a, ma- a match ticket if if you've got right, a match okay, ticket okay. yeah so 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 you show your match ticket um, and then they've got a park and ride scheme as well, um, which effectively buses you in. And, and that's partly due to the fact that where the stadium is, it's sort of hemmed in partly by the universities. And also they didn't want to bespoil the, the magnificent Sussex Downs by by sticking in a load of, of concreted car parks. Um so so that is a very significant cost to the club. Now I, I was I was hoping to contact the club this morning, but I genuinely didn't have enough time to do so. Um, we estimate it's somewhere in the region of you know, one and a half, two million pounds a season is the cost. So that's for a club with, of the size of Brighton, which has got 30,000 capacity. Right, sorry, stadium. can I interrupt there, Kim, just to ask you a question on that before I forget? So it's not subsidised at all? It's it's all paid for by Brighton? Um, yeah, it's it, it's free. Uh, it, it's free for, from in that particular range. Now, if you want to use the car parks of Sussex University and so on, I think it will cost you fifteen quid. So, but but then it's, it will cost you a fortune if you car park anywhere yeah, yeah, near yeah. A, a real football ground. Um, so, yeah, it, it's free transport, and for any away fans, it applies to them as well. So, I, I would always say to somebody, if you are getting a ticket, get get your ticket as far as Hayward Teeth, yeah. because the rest, the rest of the, yeah, free, yeah, the rest yeah. of the rest of transport is deal is free or if you are coming into brighton you know you, you, you're coming into the boozers in town uh your your transport by either bus or 
by by rail is is free. Again, you show your match ticket, um, and I think it's it, it's born out of necessity. You know, it was part of the deal between the club and, and the people granting planning permission. Um, so I think you could probably scale that up uh, when, when looking at other clubs. So you know, if it's costing Brighton, let's say two two and a half million pounds, then Manchester United you'd be looking for for two or two two and a half times that. I know as somebody that that goes to you know goes to away matches. Uh, you know, it will cost you. I think that there's dedicated buses at Old Trafford, and it's it's three pounds each way. So you work out sort of an, an average cost per fan not number of matches. The the club has a contract with the rail companies. The club has contract with bus companies. The club has contract with they they actually physically hire buses on match days for the park and ride and so on. So it, it is a very costly exercise. Well, do you know, that's really interesting because one of the things, there are many things that we admire about German football. And one of the things I've always loved is if you go to a game in Germany, the match ticket includes the price of public transport. So going to, when you're in Berlin, for example, the ticket includes the price of travel from the centre of Berlin and out to the ground. But it never occurred to me that it was the club that was paying for that. I always... I always imagined that in Germany it was a sort of a more enlightened local authority type thing. So um, it's it's the club that's coughing up for this. Yes, yeah, and, and I know the club has you know, it, it's put out sort of a, a working document because the costs have increased faster than they'd anticipated, uh, and also some people do feel a bit miffed. You know what happens if you do walk? What happens? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are you know just like you love at Palace, you look you love certain centres of Palace fans who, who will actually hire a coach but pay for that themselves and say, well, hold on, aren't we, we're not getting any benefit here um, because the club's not subsidising our, our private coaches and so on. So it's a, a one-size-fits-all policy, which is what we have. The benefit of that is, is it's simple and it's understandable. The downside is that you get some people who are bigger winners than losers, of, of which you know, I'm, I'm a big winner. I've got a I've got a bus stop which is you know, 100 yards from where I, I live, and, and that bus just happens to go to Falmer. So it's, it's great. You know, it's great for us, um, but uh, it, it doesn't work for everybody. But if it works for more people than it doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a great believer in Bentamite principles, you know, the greater good of the greater people. Yeah, it's, do you know what, Kieran? Somehow I never saw you as a bus person. It's the Baroness. Oh, my, I'm the Baronet. Prime bus wanker I am. Oh yeah, is that of his character, Prime Bus Wanker. <laughs> it's from the In Betweeners. Oh, is it? Oh, I never saw the In Betweeners for reasons oh, right. I won't go into. But um, uh, oh. no, 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 it's not. It's, <laughs> that's, that sounded more sinister than it actually is. Uh, the, the Baroness on a bus. I can't. As long, uh, hopefully, she sits at the front. Is she clutching her little regal handbag? She does. <laughs> Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well and get access to our chat community and our regular quizzes, then you can do so by going to patreon.com slash price of football. And our next live Discord session will take place on Monday the 23rd at 7pm. Who knows? William Story might even become a patron so he can rock up on that. So if you'd like to chat to me, Kieran, producer guy, and our other ultras, sign up now at Patreon. We would love to see you there. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. There are two Price of Football live shows coming up. We'll be at the Lowry Theatre in Salford on October 22nd. That's next Sunday. And then the Royal Yacht on Jersey on November the 7th. To get your tickets, there are some left still, not that many, but to get your tickets, go to priceoffootball.com or to the venues themselves. We'll be bringing um, some books with us. So if you haven't got a book yet, then you'll be more than welcome to to buy one um, and keep get yourself one of those really rare unsigned copies. But also another way to buy the books is or get yourself a Price of Football t-shirt is to go onto our website at priceoffootball.com. We'll be back on Thursday with our usual news pod. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thanks as always to, to everybody. Um, I'm delighted to say that uh, we're recording this Sunday morning. We are number two in the most wanted gifts football books section. Are we? Oh, oh yeah, we are in, in, in the Amazon chart. So um, yeah. that, that is that is quite touching. If, if, if you've got a friend who sort of likes football a bit-ish. It's, it's slightly, you know, a little bit edgy, a little bit different. I think it's an absolutely fantastic book, but oh, we would say that. Yeah. Um, and we're really looking forward to seeing everybody at the Lowry next yeah. Sunday. 
Um, and we're delighted to confirm that, that Chloe Horrocks, who was a very popular guest on the show recently, she's from Manchester United, she's head of travel operations. She'll be giving us the full works in terms of what it's like to buy a ticket for the Champions League trophy, um, which she had to do on one occasion. Um, there's a story about Chelsea, which which can't be said on the on the show, but perhaps we'll, we'll, we'll try and persuade Chloe to tell us the Chelsea story um, and, and so on. Um, so it'll be great to see you um, and all set for audio. And uh, we can sort of, I think we can now confirm that uh, it's not, we won't be doing the price of football live, but we're coming to Dulwich Hamlets on the 15th of November. We and will. we're just going to do sort of a and a in terms of the book and, and have a bit of a, a literary chat there as well. So, if you if you're a hipster, um, if you, <laughs> then you know where to come to. And I think that will be on the Dulwich Hamlets website itself. Yeah, there's one other way of supporting the show, and that's to give us a review. Give us a book review. Actually, go onto an Amazon, or you can go to your podcast producer and give us a review. It doesn't matter what you say. You could even say you would rather have the show presented by William Story and Mary Beard. And I think there'll be only one winner. Yeah, oh, oh, she'd wipe the floor of him, wouldn't she? Absolutely. I love she's now she's a good writer. She's a, a great presenter as well. So she she's got uh, her book is number three on my most wanted gifts book. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact because I don't go near reviews or or charts. So I, it's nice to get the occasional bit of good news from you, Kieran. It's lovely. Thank you. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. The price of football.